Wayne's going to be teaching from Jonah this morning. I'm going to read from chapter 3, verses 10, and then all of chapter 4. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it, There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm. When dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. And it came about when the sun came up that God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. Then the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant for what you did not work and which you did not cause to grow and which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals? Heavenly Father, you are very gracious, long-suffering, and patient. Give us that perspective as we minister among people who do not know you, that we would be as gracious and kind as you have been to us. In Jesus' name. So I asked Joe that when he introduced me that he'd not take more than 10 minutes to brag on me and to build me up. And it seems like he had no problem. (laughs) And uh, I am also definitely a a Southerner. I remember when we were in language school in France, people would give chapel messages. And for the first, I don't know, month or two, I I didn't understand what, what anybody was preaching on. Until one Sunday, there was a Texan who was preaching. Bonjour. Come on to va. Ça va bien? And I'm like, I understand that guy. He, he speaks French really good. <laughs> so it is, it is really good to be back here, especially with the, the whole family. When, uh, when watching the baptism this morning, it reminded me of the saying, baptismal water is thicker than blood. And, and to just think of coming back here and, and being with family, being with, with so many people that, that we have known for, for a long time, it's been very encouraging to be back and to, to be able to catch up uh, with, with so many different people and, and to meet new people. So that was just a quick intro. And uh, with that, I do want to transition now to our passage this morning. Transition to Jonah, 
chapter 4, and I'm thankful Joe actually right before I got up here said, you want me to read the end of chapter 3? I think that might be helpful. And I think he's right. <laughs> that was That was helpful. The title for the sermon today is When Understanding God's Character is Not Enough. 2009, so I already mentioned this, CBC sent sent my family, sent Hillary and myself out to go to another country. And I remember when, whenever we left, if you were to ask me, Wayne, are you, are you a fairly patient person? Someone who is able to control your temper? You don't get angry very easily? I would have said, yes, I think so. I, I, I don't get angry very easily. My anger is not something that causes me to to make a fool of myself and then we moved overseas and I began to discover things about myself I began to discover things about driving in traffic thoughts that I had things I wanted to say that it was not my experience driving in the U.S. Uh, and it's not like nobody ever cuts you off in Dallas I, I had I had had experience with with busy traffic, but, oh, it was hard. I remember having back pain and thinking every time I drove, it was like this is how I was grabbing the steering wheel. And one day, I remember also being at the post office and getting a package and someone telling me, you're going to have to pay customs on this. And the other person who had been there had had not made me do this, and this was a new individual, and I really felt like he was trying to rip me off. I thought he was trying to make me pay something, and and as a foreigner, uh, this is I have immigrant friends. This has happened to them in America where people try to rip them off, and so I'm thinking, well, this is what's happening to me. This guy's trying to take advantage of me. He thinks I don't know what what's going on, what I should do, and I began to raise my voice. I began to make a fool of myself. My anger got the best of me. And I remember getting on the phone and calling a friend who had lived in Senegal saying, hey, this is what's happening. This is what this guy's trying to do to me. Tell me I'm right. And he's like, well, actually, what he's doing doesn't sound unreasonable. And uh, (laughs) I'm an idiot. These are one of these moments where I'm thinking... Gosh, I hope, I'm, I'm really glad nobody's recording this and putting it on, on Facebook or YouTube or this isn't going back to CBC or any people who are supporting our work. I, my anger had caused me to look like a fool and really hinder the, hinder the work. I, later on, I remember going back and apologizing to the guy saying, listen, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I made a fool of myself. This, this was not, this was not good. When, when we look at the, the passage this morning, we look at Jonah and we see someone who is angry. In fact, in chapter 4, there are two times where Jonah is asked the question by God, Do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? This is repeated in verse 9. God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah is someone who was having anger and it was not producing a very positive portrayal of him. Like me at the post office, it did not look well. 
This was not a good look for Jonah. He was not coming out as a shining missionary example. He, 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 he is someone who was sent. He had been a missionary there, and he did not look like a very good one. Jonah was angry, and God is asking him, do you do, do well to be angry? And I want us to look at this passage and understand why was Jonah angry? What is it that, that made him angry? And I want to suggest that his anger was not completely illogical. There actually was a, a rationale behind why he was angry. When we read the last two verses of chapter 3, what had happened was Jonah had gone to Nineveh. Jonah had gone to this city. He had preached a message and the whole city had repented. Again, this seems odd. I can't imagine preaching a sermon and the, let's forget the city. If the entire church just came up and said, what you said was, was right. We must repent. God has spoken to you through us. We acknowledge that the message you shared is, is 100% correct. As a preacher, I would be patting, my arm would, would come out of socket from, from patting myself on the back about how great a sermon I just preached. I would be like, yes! How can I post something on Facebook about how great this sermon was that I just preached? And Jonah is not that way at all. He's mad. He, he, he sees this whole city repent and he is mad. Why? Why would he be upset? I want to share a couple verses from this book that help us to understand why he was upset. In 1 verses 2, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Now why does God want Jonah to speak against it? For their evil has come up before me. They were an evil people. Jonah's disgust and distaste for Nineveh was not completely unwarranted. If we read 3 verse 8, whenever Nineveh repents, the king says, Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. This is not some outsider saying, Hey, Ninevites, you, you guys, y'all are violent, evil people. This is what the king says, you know what? This is who we are. If I, if I'm going to be honest, we are, we are evil people. We are violent people. At another time in the book of Nahum, Nahum will preach another message of judgment to Nineveh. And if you read the book of Nahum, he will call them a bloody city full of lies and plunder. One commentary I looked at said, archaeology is unanimous in substantiating the cruelty of the Ninevites. This was not a good people. They were, they were the ISIS of the day. They were people who were, who were wicked, who were violent, who wanted to hurt others. Can, can you understand why Jonah was struggling with them receiving God's grace? I want you to imagine, imagine if, if ISIS was on the verge of being completely stamped out. There was a military force just about ready to just blot them out, completely defeat them, completely bring them to their knees. How many of us would say, oh, well, let's, let's send somebody to them to see if they will repent first? How many, how many people would say, 
no, just go ahead and let that take place. Go ahead, just go ahead and let that take place. Imagine Jonah's friends. It, it, Jonah says, okay, I, God told me to go to Nineveh. I can imagine Jonah having friends. Why would you go to Nineveh? This is a violent people that can hurt us. They could threaten us. They are a, a safety concern to us. And one of the incredible ironies of this is if somebody had told Jonah, don't go preach to them because they are a safety concern, they would have been right. We, we know from history who is it that later came and attacked and conquered the northern kingdom. It was Nineveh. It was the Assyrians. That's exactly what happened. People could have said, why are you caring about this people who is so violent? Imagine you're working at a company and your, your job is not secure. You're being threatened and your job could, could shut down and yet there's a competitor who's potentially putting you out of business and you know that they're unethical. You know that everything they do is not right. They're, they're, and you have the chance. Somebody says, well, one of two things can happen. We can send somebody to warn them that, that the government's aware of what they're doing and they're about to be punished and then their business would just be shut down. We can have that happen. Or somebody could warn them that they're about to be investigated and give them the chance to change their ways. And imagine your business, your job, is the one that's threatened. How would you respond to that? I think it can be easily to jump in and criticize Jonah without realizing some of his concerns were not made up. This was a wicked people, and I can understand why Jonah did not want to go there. But then let's go back to to verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. God says... I want you to go to call out against Nineveh. Well, why would Jonah be upset with that? God said, I want you to preach judgment against this evil people. Surely, Jonah would say, oh, yes, let, yeah, let me deliver the bad news. Let, let, me, let me be the one to take the letter to them and let them know, hey, y'all are about to get it. The hammer is coming down on you. Let me take this message. Please, let me be the one to take it. But Jonah's not excited. Why would he not be excited to take this message of judgment to this people that is evil and wicked and violent? Why would he not be excited about that? And the reason is because Jonah knew God. Jonah had good theology. That's why he didn't want to go. He knew what God was like. Read in chapter 4, verse 2. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarsus. This is why I didn't want to go there. Because I knew, I knew what you were like. I knew that you were a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. I knew what you were like. I knew you wanted me, you said go preach judgment, but I knew that if the chance came up for you to show grace, you would do it. Ah, I can't believe you. Jonah knew, he had good theology. He knew exactly what God was like. And what is incredibly interesting about this this statement is that what Jonah says there, you're a gracious God, slow to anger. Jonah's quoting scripture. 
Right? This is from Exodus 34, where Jonah is quoting scripture, talking about, about God being gracious and slow to anger. And what is it that happened in Exodus 34? So this is after God has miraculously delivered his people from slavery in Egypt, has brought them from out of that. And now what is it that follows after this? After experiencing this miraculous deliverance from slavery, what do God's people do? They build an idol. And they turn away and they forget what God's done for them. And they they look somewhere else. And Moses is pleading with God, do not destroy them. And what happens? Does God, whenever the moment comes for the people of Israel, to they deserve judgment. What, what does God do? God relents. God shows grace. He does not give them what they deserve. They deserve judgment. And God, God was shown grace. And, and so at this point, imagine you are in a situation where you, like me, you lose, you lose your temper. You become angry, except it's worse. Imagine you're somewhere where you lose your temper, you just start yelling, you're cussing, you're breaking public property, you are violent out in public, you lose it. And to make matters worse, you have no good excuse, right? This is somebody cut you in line at a, at a restaurant and then you just go bananas, you lose it. And you show up before the judge and you, you tell the judge, listen, I, I don't, I don't have any defense for what I did. I, I deserve to go to prison. I, I know that. But please do not. Please do not. That's your only defense is please. Please do not punish me. And the judge looks at you and says, I, I will forgive you. You can go free. Now imagine a friend or, or, or someone that you do not like does the exact same thing and they show up in court and you're like, please don't let them get that judge. Please don't let them get that judge. That judge is gracious. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want that person to get that judge. I want that person to get this judge. I don't, I don't want that person to get that judge. I, I, I think, and then if that person gets that same judge that I had and I'm mad, I know he's, he's gonna get off because I got off. I know he's going to get off because I got off with that same judge. I think somebody could look at you and give the exact same question that God gave to Jonah. Do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? That's a, that's a really good question. And the next, the rest of the chapter from verse, verse four on to the end is God's response to Jonah. And it begins with this question. Do you do well to be angry? And, and God knows that Jonah is having a hard time here. Jonah has a chance when God asks you a question, that's a, that's a, that's a good moment for some self-reflection, for some introspection, to examine your heart and to think, if God has spoken directly to me, maybe, maybe there is something in my heart. Maybe, maybe I should listen to this criticism and examine maybe I am a little off somewhere. Nope, Jonah's not having it. And so God gives him an object lesson. God says, all right, let me, let me help, help you out with this. If we pick up in verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what, what would become of the city. Now we don't fully know What's going through Jonah's mind? 
but he's he's sitting out on the edge and just saying, what's going to happen? And so maybe Jonah said, okay, I saw the city repent, but they're wicked, they're evil. Maybe they'll turn back and, and unrepent. And maybe God will still judge them. We, we don't fully know what's going through Jonah's hearts, but I've got to think, and he's, I've got to think, he's, this is some of it. He's still holding out hope that they're going to get it. And, and so there he is. Now the Lord God, verse six, appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. This is interesting. We, when we see Jonah, being so negative, maybe we're tempted to think, well, Jonah's just, he's a, a, an Eeyore, a puddle glum. He's, he's just somebody that's always negative. No matter what you say, he's just never happy, never very expressive. That's Jonah. And yet we see here a plant grows and Jonah's like, yes! He is pumped up about this plant. And you're thinking, this is odd. How, how is this guy so excited about a plant? And, and yet he's so, he, it's not just that, oh, that's just Jonah's personality. He's just a negative, negative person. Jonah, he, he knows how to show, show excitement and joy. He, he, he can do something as simple as a plant. And he's, he's pumping his fist in the air saying, yes, this is great. And then we, we continue. The Lord God appointed a plant, made it come over Jonah that it might shade for his, uh, for his head to save him. He became exceedingly glad. Verse seven. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And Jonah now says, I'm ready to die. This is awful. We, we see in this, Jonah has deep concern for a plant. And he is tremendously upset for something trivial. And when when I read this, I'm like, uh, do I ever do this? I, I'll have to tell you. There was earlier this year. I love NBA basketball. I really follow basketball. Earlier this year, the first time that the Mavericks played the Lakers, the Lakers hit a three point shot at the buzzer to tie the game, send it to overtime, and they and the Lakers won. If you go back and look at the replay, though, there should have been a foul called on Dwight Howard on the Lakers in the last three seconds. And I remember this because I was really mad. Because the Mavs got gypped. They should have won that game. I remember it well. And I remember looking at the Instagram picture like, Lee, look at that right there. That's a foul. The Lakers won that game. They should not have won that game. I can get so worked up and so angry about stuff that can be so trivial. One game. And I, that ruined my Sunday afternoon. Oh, this is awful. And here's Jonah. And God looks at him and and says, again, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? This is this is a plant. And you didn't do anything for it. It's not like you were the gardener that was out there tending the field every day. And then you saw your hard work come to nothing. It's not like that's what it was. You You were... You were passionate. You were, you were really worried about your comfort. You were really worried about this shade that you had that protected you from the heat, and now it's gone. And so the book ends with God saying, you, you pity the plant, verse 10. 
for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? God's saying, you, you have this much uh, invested in a plant. Shouldn't, shouldn't I care about a whole city? And even the animals. This is kind of bizarre, just thrown in there. God's saying, yeah, I, this, is, this is something of so much more importance. And the book ends with this cliffhanger, right? I mean, what happens next? Does Jonah repent? I don't know. What, where, where, where do we go from here? What, so Nineveh is saved. Do they fall back into their evil ways right away? How long does it take? It seems to think that they did fall back into their ways. But what, but with Jonah, we just, we just don't know. It ends open-ended. And I think it ends this way to, for the reader to look at this and to say, okay, what am I going to do with this? Jonah and his anger, based off of good theology, based off of a correct understanding of God, has gotten him in trouble. But the book ends in a way that the reader has to think, well, what am, what am I going to do with this? What, what am I angry about? Who is it that I don't want to see receive God's grace? The, this, the book leaves, leaves with a question mark. It leaves open-ended. And, and as, as I, I get to this point, I, wanted, I have a few takeaways a few ideas that I think will help us to think through. How do we avoid being like Jonah, who had good theology, but it didn't play out into his, his behavior? He understood well who God was. He, he knew immediately where to go in Scripture to, to find that God is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger. He knew exactly where that was. But he was not willing to extend this grace to those outside. And, and a few takeaways... Number one, I think we need to remember, regularly remember what we have been saved from. It is, I think, the, the Lord's Supper, something that, that we are just regularly coming back and remembering the cross, remembering why Jesus died. What was it that was done for us? Is it that... I owed somebody $50 and Jesus paid that $50 debt for me? Is it, was it something small like that? Or was it something big? Do, do we remember that? And this is where I think Jonah knew this. And we should say this is a good thing. To, to have it so ingrained in us that we know right off the bat God is gracious. We are so confident about this. We know it. God is gracious and I need that. This is, this is something we, we must regularly come back to and appreciate the grace that was shown to us. Appreciate how horrible our sin was. It, it wasn't just that, well, my sin, I did a few bad things, but listen, you know, a little community service and we're all good here. There was, there was no little bit of community service and then you're, we're going to wipe your record clean. I was guilty. I, I deserve punishment. Do, we must know that. We must know it. It, it. it has to be ingrained on our hearts. But we have to go beyond this. 
And I think we also have to examine ourselves. Who is it that we just don't like? And Jonah simply refused to do this. Jonah had multiple opportunities to repent. He had multiple opportunities where truth is being presented to him and he can say, you know what? I was angry, but I shouldn't be. God, if you want to show grace and compassion to the Ninevites, then I certainly have no business telling God that he should not show grace and compassion to this other other group. I am most definitely in no position to be able to tell God who he can show grace to and who he cannot show grace to. We have to take the moment and look inside our hearts and ask, who is it that we think is just messing it all up? The, the country's in such a horrible position and it's because of this group over here and I hope they get it. I, I hope that, that the hammer comes down on them. I don't want grace to go to them. And I don't know who it is. It could be political, it could be Republicans, Democrats, it could be Biden, Sanders, Trump, it could be any number of people that you're thinking, I just really don't like that group, I don't like that person. I think they're, they're the problem. They're the problem and they need God's judgment. They're clearly doing things against God's law, against God's will. They're clearly doing evil. They need to get it. And that's exactly where, where Jonah was. Jonah, he was right. Nineveh was evil. It, it wasn't like he, he had made up these stories about Nineveh being a violent people and they weren't true. They were absolutely true. They deserved judgment. But are we aware of that? There, and are, are we aware of ourselves too? I remember there was G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorite authors. Uh, he was a British journalist, early 1900s. He was invited to contribute to a series of people answering the question, what's wrong with the world? Right? Think about how you would answer that question. What's wrong with the world? Who's messing it all up? Who, who would you say, oh, this is, this is the group. They're the reason why the country's in such a bad place. They're the reason why the church is so messed up. They're the reason why not just the country, but the world is in such a, a bad spot. G.K. Chesterton wrote a very short response. He said, dear sirs, What's wrong with the world? I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. I am. Do, do, do we have this perception of, yes, there are other people that are evil. Yes, there are other people who do not deserve God's grace. That is true. But I'm part of the problem. I, I am someone who can, can so easily forget God's grace. Do we examine ourselves? One, remember God's grace to examine ourselves to know who who is it that you might be tempted to not want them to receive God's grace. And then third, I want to say something that Scripture does a lot in the book of Jonah, and it does not not just in the book of Jonah, but throughout the Bible, is it paints people from other places in a positive light. You think about this, especially today, because of the Internet. If you don't like uh, conservatives... If you want to receive in your Facebook feed or your email uh, a story of some idiot conservative every single day, you can do that. If you can't stand liberals and you want to find a, a news story every day that, that tells about some stupid liberal doing something, you can find that. 
You can, you can feed yourself every single day a story that's negative about somebody that you don't like. You, you can do that. And what's interesting, when we look about, look at Jonah. Now the people of Nineveh are wicked. They truly are. They, there are people are in, in this ancient Near East context who do not love God. And yet, what are we looking here? When, when Jonah is on the boat in the first chapter and, and the, the sailors, these pagan sailors find out that the reason why their lives are in danger is because of Jonah. They, they, they know it's because of Jonah. It's his fault. He's the reason that the storm, God is upset with them. And they, they realize that. The, the, the story casts the pagan sailors in a positive light. In fact, whenever Jonah says, you know what, just throw me overboard. They're like, no, 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 we don't want to do that. I, if someone came into our building and then all of us were at physical danger because of them, and we knew that, that it was their fault, and then they said, you know what, the, the reason we're all in danger is because of me. Just let me leave and you'll all be safe, right? Many of us would be like, oh, that's great. There's an exit here, there's an exit over there, there's an exit over there, and there's two in the gym. And yet the pagan sailors who supposedly know nothing about God are saying, well, hold on, so let's, we shouldn't be so quick to just throw Jonah overboard. Let's, let's try to hang on. Think about the king. The king of Nineveh, when he hears, he repents immediately. He, the king is cast in a very positive light. And in fact, not only does the king repent, he says even the animals are going to wear sackcloth. And I would have loved to have had a picture of that, of the animals in mourning. It, it, the, the, the chapter really goes over the top to emphasize his repentance. He, the king of Nineveh is cast in a positive light. In fact, think of everything in the book of Jonah and think about who does what God wants. The sailors demonstrate a positive example. The king, the fish. God appointed a fish. God appointed a plant. God appointed a worm. God appointed a wind. Everybody, everything, every animal does what God wants except Jonah. At some point, I read this and I'm like, gosh, can we lighten up on Jonah? It's like, how many different ways can we point him out as negative? And the book is just overwhelmingly portraying other people in a positive light. And it's interesting, this is not just in the book of Jonah. When Jesus wants to tell a story about what it means to love your neighbor, and he's telling to a, a group of Jews... He doesn't just pick a random person. He says, hey, it's a Samaritan. Let me, let me tell you about a Samaritan that's going to tell you how to love your neighbor. Scripture so often takes people outside of the people of God and presents them in a positive light. When you read Genesis, Ishmael is not the, the chosen, the, the line is not going to go through Ishmael. And yet you read the story about Ishmael, and who do you have sympathy for? Ishmael and Hagar. You read that story and you're thinking, man, they really got done wrong. You think about Esau and Jacob. Does Jacob come off looking good? At the end of Jacob's life, when Jacob is, is, is coming back and going to encounter Esau, you would think, well, Esau, he's not, again, he's not the chosen, 
child. Surely Esau will be cast in a negative light. And yet, whenever Jacob's out there saying to his wife, hey, honey, it looks dangerous up there. Why don't you go first ahead of me, and then I'll follow follow behind you, right? Jacob's going for husband of the year award. And and yet, and yet he finds out, what would you say, honey? Oh, it's okay. All right, well, yeah, I'll come now. Esau is cast in a positive life. This person who earlier was was clearly not someone trying to honor God, clearly somebody who was so driven by his his desires, his physical desires, that he gave away his birthright. Scripture does this, and I think one of the things that this challenges us with is always having a negative perception of a certain group of people is not going to help us love them and long for them to have God's grace. When Scripture is is portraying people as, uh, hey, listen, the pagan sailors, don't think that the pagan sailors would never repent. There's no way they could experience God's grace. It seemed like they were sensitive to what was happening. Don't think, well, Ninevites, they could never turn. Don't, don't think of any group and think, you know what, this group, they're, they're just, they're what's wrong with our world today. I think it, it could be very beneficial for us to be intentional and saying, if I know that in my heart, I'm tempted to not like this individual here, or I'm tempted to not like my my neighbor, I'm, whatever group it is. Try to find a way. Maybe you need to uh, find someone in that group and make them one of your good friends. You need to make the effort so that whenever you think about that group, it's not always in a negative way. And this is not a just a off to the side. The book of Jonah. Everyone who's not named Jonah comes off looking good in here. And I don't think that's unintentional. I think God knows our hearts. If we just simply constantly feed ourselves negative perceptions of someone else, our heart will follow that. But if we counter that and say, you know what? God loves this group. And and this right here, I saw this. This demonstrated how this group of people did something that, that God would look at and say that was good. Are, are we doing that? And then one last, one challenge is to listen to criticism regardless of where it comes from. I really think that, that God was using anyone and anything possible to correct Jonah. God used the Ninevites, God used the sailors, God used the, uh, the worm, the fish. God's using everything possible to point out to Jonah. But I think in Jonah's mind, He's thinking, well, they're not part of God's people. There's no way they can teach me something. And yet many times God does use people outside of of his people to correct his people. I think in the book of Jeremiah, whenever the city is is, is about to be attacked, who is the one person who hears Jeremiah and responds favorable? Ebed-Melech the Cushite. This is the the only person, everybody else from from the nation of Israel, is rejecting, is listening. And God's using Ebed-Melech the Cushite. And when you read about Ebed-Melech the Cushite in the in the chapter, it, re, it keeps repeating Ebed-Melech the Cushite. It is really drawing attention to the fact that this guy is a Cushite. And in fact, after about the third or fourth time it's mentioned, you're thinking, okay, we get it. The guy is a Cushite. He's from Cush. Okay, we know it. But the, but the passage is really emphasizing, hey, this guy who you may be tempted to think, oh, there's no way that that's going to be the guy that responds. 
And Scripture is using Ebed-Melech to change us or to challenge us. And I think it's important for us to think, who is it that's criticizing the church? And are we willing to listen to correction if it's true? God may choose anybody or anything. There might be uh, birds pooping on our cars that's, that's meant to, to point things out to us. God can use animals. God can use a wind. God can use anything to rebuke us. Are we willing to hear it, though? Or, or are we thinking, ah, there's no way that God could use that individual, that group? And I think all of this, it, it strikes me when I look at Jonah and how he was sent out and God used that process to, to help Jonah see problems in his life. I, I began this message with a reference to my, my time into another country. And I confess I learned a lot about myself when I, look, when I moved to another country, when I lived in another culture. When God sent me out, I discovered problems and character flaws that I had that I did not know that I had. And yet they were so glaring and so obvious. And I think when we think about a book like this, God is sending each one of us out. And as we do that, as we do that, I think we will discover ways in which our heart does need to be corrected. What my prayer is this morning is that each of us, as God continues to send me out, I pray that my heart is humble enough to take correction where I need to receive it. That as I'm serving my neighbor, that God will point out, wow, this, this person, they, they seem to, to, to care for others in a way that I'm not even seeing in my own life. A- am I someone that as I am sent out, I am willing to, to hear what God is saying to me? Father, I am thankful for, for your grace. We just know that without it, we would be lost. There would be, uh, we, we would have no grounds, no, nothing to defend ourselves. We are worthy of punishment and yet you have shown grace and mercy and we thank you for that and we pray that as you send us out that we would be agents of grace and mercy, that other people would see it in us and that we would view those around us and those outside of, of, of our church the way that you view them with a desire to, to show love, a desire to show grace. We thank you for who you are. And we pray that, that our understanding of who you are will not simply stop at understanding, but will, will work out and will play out in our lives and move us as we serve you. I pray in your son's name. Amen.